This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. A new CBS News battleground tracker poll shows a shuffle in the top tier of Democratic presidential contenders. Senator Elizabeth Warren has a one-point edge now over former Vice President Joe Biden, 26% to 25%. Senator Bernie Sanders is also gaining ground. The poll of Democratic voters was conducted across the first 18 caucus and primary states. But in Nevada, Senator Bernie Sanders is now in front of Biden and Warren with 20 29% support. We got a revolution to make. You ready to do it? Welcome to Where Did You Get This Number? This episode's number is three. As in Nevada, it goes third in the process. It's an important primary. It's often overlooked. We'll talk about why and maybe why Nevada is more representative of the U.S. than any of the early primary states. So I am Anthony Salvato. Thank you for listening. This episode, we go in the field talking with CBS News campaign reporter Alex Tin from Las Vegas, Nevada. Alex, full candor here. We, uh, when we were doing our sound check, I said, I slipped and I said, Nevada. A bit of a gaffe on your I, part. <laughs> I, I, a, a huge gaffe, a huge gaffe. I, you know, I, I know it's Nevada. And uh, now I, I officially cannot run for president or at least not hope to right, win uh, Nevada's electoral vote. I appreciate the votes. apology. That's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, tell me, Alex, you know, we know that you are from there. You were smart enough or somebody was smart enough to send you out there because it is an important primary because it's got the delegates. It's got the early position. And yet back here on the East Coast, maybe it doesn't get as much attention as a as a new hampshire as an iowa what why is that and what are the campaigns doing out there are they there as much and who is well yeah you know it's difficult to be in nevada running a campaign because you have some structural just really disadvantages as a campaign state uh you're dealing with a three-hour time difference with the east coast and it's expensive you know really just to fly out here and then fly back I think all the candidates have made an effort to at least come once, if not a few times. And when you look at the ground game of candidates here in Nevada, you'll notice that at least candidates like uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden, all of them have really begun building up big field staffs here in Nevada, you know, organizing that ground game, knocking on doors, showing up at events. And you also have a couple candidates who have just arrived and are really starting to ramp up their operation, candidates like Pete Buttigieg or Beto O'Rourke. And also you have a couple candidates who we just haven't seen a lot of yet. Maybe that's going to change when we get closer to the caucus. Uh, Amy Klobuchar and Andrew Yang among them. So maybe these two are connected in the sense that if it's difficult for the campaigns to get out there, it's a long flight, expensive, as you say. 
when they do go out there, their front people have to organize something really big. Exactly. Right. Uh, And when you talk to voters who were there, many of them found out not through the Internet or through flyers or through somebody knocking on their door, but through an organizer who gave them a call and said, hey, this visit is coming up. Don't you want to go see Bernie Sanders? Come out to the high school gym nearby or to the community center because they're going to be there and they want to hear from you. Gotcha. Now, you know, in our latest Nevada poll, the people considering Bernie Sanders, one of the top answers was that he ran last time. So they're familiar with him. And does that offer some kind of an advantage for him? He is up overall in in the Nevada poll. But, you know, that struck me as a majority saying, well, it's it's his run last time. That's part of the reason they're considering. Is there a built in goodwill towards him? Is there a lot of staff already on the ground that wants to volunteer again for him? How is his campaign set up there? Oh, for sure. There's definitely a lot of structural advantages for his name recognition. I mean, even when you talk to voters, just pulling them off the street and you say, who do you like? A lot of them who like Bernie Sanders will say, I like him and I liked him in 2016 and I kind of like him again this time. But when you look at the way that the campaign is structured, it's definitely a different game than it was back in 2016. I mean, when you think back to 2016, he was doing, you know, kind of well in Iowa and New Hampshire. And really coming off that, they ramped up their game really at the last minute here, hiring a lot of people, getting a lot of volunteers within those last few months before the caucus. Uh, Compare that to this cycle where Bernie Sanders really has a massive ground game, a massive number of organizers who have been organizing here for months. So one of the things about organizing, obviously, is that it helps ultimately drive turnout. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a discussion you and I were having right when our our poll came out the other day about the the telecaucus. And the idea was that the Democratic Party was going to give people a chance to participate both in Iowa and Nevada in the caucuses by phone somehow or remotely without having to physically show up in person. And they've since said that they're not going to do that. But one of the things we were wondering was who might have shown up or who might have participated, better word, had there been this telecaucus. What what were you hearing out there on the ground about the way that that might work or the kinds of participation that might have happened had they held that kind of remote voting? Well, yeah, it's both Nevada and Iowa really made a focus this time around at the direction of the DNC to find ways to bring in more people to the caucus locations that maybe weren't able to come out in 2016. And a large reason for that is because caucusing is not easy. You know, you have to go there, you have to stand around for a couple hours, you have to listen to people. It's not like early voting where you just go in, press a button on a ballot machine and walk out. Uh, Now, Nevada has a couple other things that are in the pipeline to try to boost turnout. They've got the uh, early voting that they're going to try to do. They've got what are called Essentially, precinct sites that are at large at workplaces on the strip where, you know, hospitality workers who are in the middle of their shift can go down and caucus while they're still at their workplace. We uh, in the poll, we found that it was actually younger people and older people, both of whom said they'd be more likely to participate online. Right. 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 Which makes sense to what you're to what you're saying. Right. But tell me a little bit about when you said the, the hospitality workers, because of the composition of the Democratic Party out there in Nevada, Does both the participation rate in the caucus and also the kinds of voters that the Democrats are going after, does that change? Without a telecaucus, for sure. Um, Obviously, everyone always wants to get those voters who are really the mainstay of Nevada's political machine, which are Nevada's hospitality workers. Many of them are low income. Many of them are people of color. 
And that's a real focus for a lot of campaigns. Without the telecaucus, it's going to be harder to get them out to vote, but it's still going to be a focus for those campaigns for sure. And it also puts a sort of priority for Democrats on going after that really part of their traditional base. Exactly. Working the union, the union vote. Exactly. And are the unions backing anybody in particular there? Is there endorsements going on going out? A lot of the unions have really held their powder dry for now. They've they haven't really come out with a big endorsement for any of the candidates yet. Um, Probably because they want to see who's viable. Of course. And and it builds them leverage, too. I mean, for example, the culinary union has been in a big labor dispute with one of Nevada's largest casino chains, Station Casinos. And really, you've seen most of the candidates, if not all of them, make a point of coming out and saying, we stand in solidarity with the culinary union in their fight with Station Casino, showing up at picket lines, sending organizers to come support them at protests. And that kind of leverage really comes from the fact that at the end of the day, a lot of these candidates want the culinary union support, want their members to vote for their candidate. And that's the kind of leverage you can really build up when you kind of wait until the last minute to make your decision. Talking to Alex Tin, CBS News reporter, campaign reporter, vetted out there in Las Vegas for in advance of the Nevada primary. Alex, having grown up there and spent so much time there, when you returned to a place that we all know is really fast growing, has diversified, has changed so much, what is it that it's important to communicate to everybody else in the country about the way that Las Vegas and the way that Nevada has changed over the years? Well, what we saw was with Las Vegas especially, it's really turned into a major metropolitan center here in the Southwest. I mean, a good comparison is compare it to Iowa. Both Iowa and Nevada have a relatively you know, small population. They're not the largest state in the United States. But when you look at Iowa's biggest city, you know, Des Moines, even when you broaden it out to the metro area, we're talking about, you know, maybe 600, 700,000 people. Las Vegas in its metro area has close to 2 million, if not more now, people in that metro area. And so what you Mm -hmm. get in places like Las Vegas, a fast-growing, diverse population, is really a lot of the issues that face America's large cities. You know, like I said, criminal justice, homelessness, housing problems. You get a lot of the economic issues that are facing America's urban areas. And you also get a lot of those issues that face the more diverse communities that, you know, the Democratic Party really seeks to represent, Uh, not just immigration, but also, you know, ideas about even reparations being a major focus for a lot of voters here. You know, that's one of the all. Go ahead. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, one of the other things you see in Las Vegas, like I mentioned earlier, you have a large union presence, which really is something that you don't see maybe quite as much in some of the other places that the Democrats have been focusing on in this early race. And the other thing you see in Nevada is a lot of focus on the environment. Outside of the Strip, obviously that's a focus for a lot of people, but off the Strip, there's a lot of natural beauty around Nevada. It's a very important thing for many people. And at the end of the day, Las Vegas is in the middle of a desert. So things like climate change, things like you know the heat, which is already very hot here, the drought that has plagued the Las Vegas Valley for many years. You have really this intersection of so many of these issues that have faced the Democratic Party all across the country. Yeah, water policy is something that certainly affects a lot of cities in the West, and you don't hear a lot about that on the national campaign You trail. don't. And, and, you know, probably part of the reason is that it's a hard thing to talk about, because anytime you start talking about water policy, you start talking about winners and losers. 
And when you look upstream from Las Vegas, it's California, another Democratic bastion. And I'm sure a lot of candidates are not excited to start making enemies on either side of the California-Nevada border. That is really interesting. That is really interesting. And so and I think sort of an undertold part of the story is, yeah, who gets who gets the water? That's what you mean by winners and losers. Exactly. Who gets the water? Exactly. I mean, there's only so much water to go around. And, you know, one of the big attractions near Las Vegas, if you ever come out to visit, you know, stop by Hoover Dam. When you stand there Mm -hmm. and you look out onto the lake behind the dam, which really feeds most of the Las Vegas population, Lake Mead. People will point out to you, you can see still the mark of where the water level used to be and where it is now. That reliance on water is something that has been a fight for many years because in California and, you know, I'm sure people like Senator Kamala Harris know this too well. Water is really a main focus for its agricultural industry. And any water that's going to Las Vegas, that's watering a garden or a lawn or the Bellagio fountains here is water that isn't going to one of those farms upstate in California. Alex, out there, you know, Las Vegas has a certain connection to California, not just because it's next door, but as it grows and diversifies, there are people who move from California. Those of us who used to live in California used to like to spend a lot of time or a lot of money in Las Vegas. Is there a California influence coming into the into the primary in some way? Yeah, I I think undeniably California has had an influence in past elections and probably even more so now. Uh, Part of it is you've seen that California, which now is a Super Tuesday state, thanks to the state's legislature and Governor Gavin Newsom there, you're going to see a lot more of candidates not just doing those kinds of double events on both sides of the border, but also kind of highlighting those issues that are both important and being discussed a lot on both sides, like housing like the gig economy, and like those broader issues that you hear on the West Coast that we talked about earlier, like the environment and reaching that clean energy goal that so many Democrats say they want to reach. And we do know that Democrats, by and large, say that they care about the environment, say that they care about climate change, certainly tell us that in the polling. But, you know, this idea of a place that is representative and campaigning in a place that's representative you know, in a lot of ways, what you're describing is a place out there that may be more representative, as you say, than, you know, a place in Iowa or a place in New Hampshire. And that's kind of the argument that goes around when we talk about the way that these primaries stack up. And, you know, another big conversation that they really tried to bring up here is gun control. Uh, you know, as you know, Las Vegas was uh, the site of a pretty deadly mass shooting back in October a few years ago. And that's something that has been top of mind for a lot of people here, because at the same time, as you have many people here in southern Nevada who want stronger gun control, who want to do more things to prevent the kind of mass shootings that have really happened all across this country, you had the Gilroy shooting recently in California. And the mass shooter there legally purchased his assault weapon in Nevada so that he could use it in a shooting in California where that weapon was not allowed. And so you really have those cross-cutting currents of a state that really wants to, you know, pick up the mantle and be a progressive voice on issues like gun control, yet they're combating the same kinds of forces that, you know, you see in Democratic parties all over the country, where you have the more rural vote and the northern Nevada vote that maybe isn't ready for that kind of change or doesn't want or agree with the party's direction on those issues. Is the state trending one way or the other? We know that it elected a Democratic senator during the midterms. We know that Hillary Clinton marginally won it. 
probably it'll be considered a battleground again. Which uh, which way are the political trend lines going there? Well, when you talk to uh, activists or local politicians on the ground here, all of them will tell you that Nevada is definitely trending more blue than maybe it has five or 10 years ago. Like you said, you know, there's a Democratic governor now. Most of the statewide elected officials are Democrats, except for the secretary of state. Uh, You have Democratic majorities in the legislature. And when you even look at the local level policies that are being passed here at the city level, at the county level, it's Democrats who are on those county commission seats, on those city council seats, at least in southern Nevada. So, yes, there's definitely a resurgence of activism and excitement and energy on the left here. But it's still very much a battleground state. And you saw a lot of discussion about that recently when the governor decided to actually veto a bill that would theoretically have uh, committed Nevada to something called the national popular vote. What that would mean Mm -hmm. is that essentially Nevada would give up its uh, electoral importance as a battleground state. And in the discussion around that, you saw a lot of people say, hey, Nevada still matters. Nevada is still a very much a red and a blue state. And those are the kinds of discussions we're going to have when we get closer to the general election. Yeah, the National uh, Electoral Vote Compact, meaning that if a state is part of it, they would give their electoral votes to whoever won the popular vote, regardless of who necessarily won that state. And, And what's interesting about that is, you know, I mentioned that Democratic legislature. It was the Democratic legislature that came up with, hey, let's commit Nevada to this popular vote. We could be one of the first battleground states to really essentially concede our influence and say, We want to commit our electors to whoever the national popular vote winner is. And the one and only veto of the legislative session that the Democratic governor, Governor Sisolak, had was of that Democratic bill to commit Nevada's electors to the popular vote. Do you uh, do you talk to any pollsters out there, any campaign pollsters or or otherwise? No, not so much to campaign pollsters, actually. And if anything, the gripe typically is that there isn't many polls here in Nevada Uh, And you hear that complaint from the campaigns. You hear that complaint from just journalists here in Nevada. Um, But, of course, we had a recent poll from CBS that really has changed the conversation here. Happy to oblige. (laughs) Oh, how has it changed the conversation? Tell me. Well, yeah, no, I think think up until now there were a few things we just really didn't know, right? Number one, we didn't know that everyone knew that Sanders and Biden were doing well. But other candidates like Elizabeth Warren, who have really amassed a massive infrastructure here, the question was, were they making a difference? Were they really penetrating in the conversation? So that was one thing that changed. The other thing that changed was noting that some candidates like Tom Steyer, who really hasn't done much actual campaigning in Nevada, but has been running ads all over the place on TV, online, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, targeting voters here in Nevada has really seemed to make a dent in that. I mean, in our in the CBS poll that came out over the weekend, we saw Tom Steyer had, what was it, 10 or 11 percent of Nevadans who were even considering him as potentially one of their choices. And that's something that probably surprised a lot of people here who have seen those ads and maybe said, oh, you know, that's just an ad. That's not making a difference. And it clearly is, at least in terms of name recognition. Interesting. Alex Tin, CBS News reporter in Las Vegas, in the center of what 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 may be even more action coming <laughs> coming, coming his his <laughs> waiting for the campaign to come by. Alex, thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on, Anthony. Thanks. 
That is going to wrap this edition of the podcast. Let me thank again my guest, Alex Kinn, out there in Las Vegas. We will surely be hearing more from him back here in our New York studios. Let me thank, as always, our awesome producer, Alan Pang, for pulling all of this together. And let me thank you for tuning in, downloading, and listening. We will be back next week. I am Anthony Salvanto for Where Did You Get This Number? And everyone here at CBS News Radio, have a good one. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.